You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on uh, The Mandalorian, future Star Wars projects, uh, The High Republic, all the other cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys? Been looking forward to this one for the past two months because I should probably safe to say that the most excited I've been for an episode to talk about what we're going to talk about. That's not movie or TV show related. So <laughs> this should be a fun one. Yeah. It, I mean, it two months because it took that Kyle that long to read the book, you know? So <laughs> hey, hey, that, hey, so. it's been just, it, it took me about a month. It has not been two months since that's, that I book's know, been out. And I've been done I with know. it for a week or two. I know. No, it, I, I am ecstatic to talk about the high Republic. I think this, there's a lot to dive into. I think from the, actual story but also just what it means for star wars going forward yeah definitely i'm excited to get into it um before we get into the book discussion and everything um you know we always start off with the news not really a whole lot of news right now regarding future star wars projects and stuff there's obviously one big piece of sort of controversial news going on right now uh which is that we just found out uh i guess last week or a few days ago that gina carano has been uh let go by lucasfilm and will not be appearing in future seasons of the mandalorian or any other star wars projects based on uh you know her social media comments and stuff that she's been making that have been uh rubbing a lot of people the wrong way um and look, we're not going to get too much into like our personal thoughts on this. I think we're all kind of in the same camp, though, that like it's just an unfortunate situation that it had to come to this point. Um, and, you know, I mean, we've goodness knows we've already had our, you know, more than enough uh, people getting fired and let go from Star Wars projects for all kinds of different reasons up to this point. So it always is kind of unfortunate just when we have to talk about this kind of news because um, we like to just keep it fun and, you know, be excited about stuff. But Um, It'll be interesting to see where they go with this going forward. I'm sure, like, at least for me personally, I'm hoping that they keep the character around and just recast it because it obviously seems like they had big plans for her. Um, And obviously, you know, like some people are really happy about this and they've been really unhappy about the stuff she's been saying. Other people feel like it's unfair. Um, And yeah, like I said, we're we're not going to get too much into that. But um, I mean, I know for me personally, I definitely don't agree with a lot of the stuff she was posting, but still it's just unfortunate that it had to come to this point and that we have to be talking about controversies and people being let go and all that kind of stuff um 
and I'm sure we'll kind of get more into that um, and, you know, talk more about this as time goes by and we get closer to like the next season of The Mandalorian and stuff like that and talk about how this is going to affect things moving forward. Um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it for now. I mean, you know, I'm sure if you're uh, part of the Star Wars fandom, you probably have heard all about this and have your own opinions on it. So um, that's pretty much it for that, unless you guys had anything else you wanted to add. No, you pretty much said it best where this whole situation is unfortunate. And but for me, it was something where sad to say I could see I could see this coming. It was only like a matter of time mm-hmm. uh, before it would happen. And then once it finally did, I was like, oh, there it is. And uh, I can't say I really disagree with the decision Lucasfilm came to in doing that with what her latest uh, social media yeah. posts have been. So, yeah. Um, it is what it is, and everyone's going to have their opinion, like you said, on it for one way or another. But uh, again, it is some that just takes the fun out of talking about Star Wars, in particular The Mandalorian, because uh, Carradine was a great character on that show. She and was. Mm-hmm. So just the fact that you had that cloud surrounding it was unfortunate, and now it's come to this. So it is what it is. And uh, the show will definitely survive, though. <laughs> That's for darn sure. Oh, yeah. But absolutely. like you said, it's just a matter of question what are they going to do with the character? Is she just going to be recast? They're going to write her out some way so that's going to be the interesting thing going forward yep totally yeah and according to some of the reports you know that were coming out around that time they said that like you know we had speculated that she was maybe going to be like the star of the rangers of the new republic series and they were saying that like that actually was a plan that disney was going to announce um during that investor call when they announced all those shows and then that was like around the time when uh things started getting kind of heated and like they weren't ready to let her go yet, but they were like, and let's maybe hold back on announcing this just in case. Um, And I mean, we don't even know like when, like at what point she got let go by them and and when they found out or when she found out, because, you know, this was just from a statement. Um, I would assume it probably was that day, like last Friday or whenever it was that she was making all these comments, um, like sort of her most recent, um, incendiary ones i guess you could say but um and they just said like she's no longer employed by lucasfilm so it's like well when when did that take effect um but uh yeah so i i guess like i said they did seem to have big plans for the character it it seems like they were going to announce that she was going to be part of uh you know her own spinoff moving forward so i hope they recast the character and keep going with that because i'd like to see what they had planned for that um and you know the the interesting stuff they had planned for that character. So, um, but like I said, we'll talk about that more um, as we get further down the line and get closer to more Mandalorian and Rangers of the New Republic and all that kind of stuff. Still, obviously, very excited to see more of those shows going forward. And uh, like you said, Tim, the show's definitely going to survive. Also, Pedro Pascal got uh, that same night, uh, Pedro Pascal got cast in a lead role in um, The Last of Us TV series, which is like an adaptation of the, yeah. the PlayStation game. Um, and, uh, but they were saying, I guess it sounds like that won't conflict too much with him being in the Mandalorian. I mean, they're both streaming series that are probably only going to be like eight to 10, eight to 10 episodes or so. Um, and so, you know, hopefully he'll have time to do both. I guess they said like in his contract, he's like got a higher priority for the last of us than the Mandalorian, but that's probably due to the fact that like, if they need to film, or, like, if there's a scheduling conflict or whatever, like, they can make do without him on The Mandalorian because, you know, they can put mm. one of the stunt doubles in the suit. So, hopefully that won't affect things too much. But, obviously, he's still involved in The Mandalorian going forward. Um, 
then it'll be cool to see him in some exciting new stuff as well. Um, but I didn't even think about that because if, yeah, he doesn't have to be on the set. He can just voice him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and there were there were that. rumors, you know, we, we've heard – of course, there have been like, you know, some dumb rumors that like he was fired or quit like halfway through Mandalorian season two and like we would never know because you don't see him under the helmet and whatever. And it's like, well, obviously not because you see his face in the finale. Um, and he's obviously – you know, there haven't been any statements from Lucasfilm about him being let go. But even in season one, I remember hearing various reports that like he wasn't even – like wasn't actually on set for all that much of it. Um, but we know that like there, he has two different stunt doubles that um, step in for for various roles, and so um, yeah, like I said, hopefully they can work out the schedule where he can still be on set for as much of the time as possible because I do think he brings a lot to that character himself. But um, yeah, obviously, you know, if he has to step away or, or there's a scheduling conflict or something, obviously they've got that well handled. So it'll be cool to see, especially him in- with how. I was oh, going to say with how season two ended and him removing his helmet, you kind of figured, and we speculated on this too, where we'll probably be seeing more of his face in season three, especially if he's mm-hmm. going to be spending more time with Bo-Katan and how they take their helmets off all the time and kind of ridicule them for it in the season, the third episode of season two. So this made us think that we'd be seeing more of his face than we did in season one and season two and season three. But Probably not quite onto the level where you would need him on set every day uh, for him to be filming those scenes because he'll still be under that helmet for the majority of the episodes, yeah. no doubt. But I would expect to see more of his face going forward. Yeah, I would too, but you know, not as much as we do with like Bo Katan or some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, and I'm like, I've never played the Last of Us games. Um, because I'm an Xbox guy, not a PlayStation guy, but I'm looking forward to that show as well, and I'll get to finally see what all the hype is about. So. Um, something to look forward to, uh, outside of star Wars, if you're just a Pedro Pascal fan and want to see what he's doing next, but, um, all right, well, let's move on from that and dive into the high Republic. Shall we? Yes, we are the Republic. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so the way we're going to kind of structure this is obviously there's a, a bunch of high Republic stories that have launched, um, all around the same time to kind of kick off this big publishing initiative. Um, we're mostly just going to talk about the main novel, the light of the Jedi. Uh, we've all read it, you know, we're, and we're going to go into spoilers on that. So if you're, uh, you know, if you haven't read the book yet, if you're wondering if you should read it, you should, it's good. We're going to get into spoilery details. So, uh, be wary of that. Um, and then that's the only thing I've read so far. So then when we're done with that, I'll kind of let Tim and Paul give a, a spoiler free, uh, overview of some of like the comics and the junior novels and stuff um, that they've released as well. But um, we're going to mostly be focusing on uh, just Light of the Jedi. And then I think, you know, we haven't really talked about this, but we'll probably, you know, we'll keep talking about this as time goes on and just as they're announcing new books and stuff. But, you know, maybe we'll do like a big High Republic kind of check in or recap episode every time they release one of like the main novels. Like, I know the next one's coming out in, like, June or July, I think. So at that point, you know, we'll do another big review of that novel and kind of recap all the stuff that's happened in between um, and just keep kind of doing like that. Um, But, uh, yeah, let's see where to start. I mean, I guess it's been a while since we've done, like, a novel review, so I don't know if we want to go through and kind of do the story beat by beat. I will say for me, 
the thing that really stood out, like I, I love the book and I had, you know, some minor uh, gripes with it or criticisms that we'll, you know, get to as well. But I thought the characters really shined through. Um, and I heard some people like, I heard this as a criticism from some people that the book doesn't really have a main character or like a central uh, sort of plot line. Um, it is really kind of like an ensemble cast with a lot of sort of branching subplots um, and a lot of, different characters or small groups of characters kind of off doing their own thing that are all sort of part of this bigger storyline. Um, but I liked that. Like, I liked that. Uh, I thought it did a good job of like just establishing this new time period, establishing a lot of characters. Cause obviously like with this being the kickoff point and with this being something that's completely separate from the movies, I feel like it kind of had to throw all those characters at you, at least in this novel. And then I'm sure we're going to get a lot of the books and the comics and stuff are going to be like, stories about one or two of the characters that we got introduced here but this was kind of just setting the setting the table if you will and introducing like a, a wide um sort of cast of characters for us to, to start getting introduced to in this universe i thought it was really weird and strange that people were criticizing the book for not having like this one central character because i felt that it was a kind of a breath of fresh air that there were so many different perspectives. Like it wasn't, it wasn't fo focused on one or one's character narrative. It was focused focused on so many, and it was refreshing to have like it's focused on the event, not so much the like just you know just these central two characters. And I thought that was cool, and it kind of reminded me of kind of like the Game of Thrones kind of thing where you had like a different perspective every time, but it's like all going towards one kind of thing at once. And that was really nice. Cause we really haven't really had that in, in the new Canon, at least. And I haven't read every legends novel, obviously. So I don't know how exactly that all worked out in, in that regard for, um, for star Wars, but it was just nice to have something where that it was just kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're wanting to know more about the mystery and as, and, and not only that, but the time period of the Jedi. So if you were focused on, as we've gotten other books, which we'll get into later a little bit, that it you get to kind of a little bit more of a, of a broader view of what the Jedi are at that time, not just one Jedi, but all kinds of Jedi. So you have different mm -hmm. perspectives. And that was really refreshing. And that was, I mean, that was something that I really wanted to know right off the bat. And they gave it to me. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like they were like, oh, here's this one person, like, you know, hinting at all these different things. It was like, oh, all these different Jedi are, you know, interacting. They're talking about the past. So many Easter eggs or, you know, these things that you might, they might touch on eventually. They're all there. And I thought that was really, really, it was a really, really great intro um, to, I think, the, the model of the High Republic. I think from a, both a, you know, event you know uh storyline wise but also for i think just understanding the canon it did an amazing job of establishing the like i want to say the rules but what's going on exactly what is the what is the idea driving this this the jedi right now what's going on it makes a lot of sense it was really really fascinating to be honest it was the first time in a long long time that I, you know, not including the movies or the the, sh uh, the shows or whatever, is that I really felt fascinated by Star Wars and where it could go and the things I was learning about it. And the comics, you know, everyone knows I'm a diehard comic book person. I love the medium to death. 
But the one of the problems is that, you know, unless you have you're just releasing on a graphic novel all at once, you know, there the it's hard to kind of go back and forth in that narrative. You can, but it's harder, right? Right, Tim? So like like it's not mm -hmm. something that you can always do flashbacks on and and really di dive deep into like you know the meanings and kind of hint at things. Whereas a novel, I will say, even though it's not my favorite medium by any means, I will say it, novels can kind of dive in a little bit deeper with what people's thought processes are, and you know, and also go back and, and reference things or kind of hint at things going forward, going backwards. And that's what this book does a great job of. And that's the first time I've been like, I felt so excited to kind of dive into this world. And it gave me something back was probably in Star Wars. And since, again, besides the films or TV shows, that's including the comics. And that's tough for me to say because I love the comics a lot. So it was a really, really great, I feel, um, just a thing for me to kind of dive in and just chew on Star Wars for a while on an era that I don't know anything about. And it gave me everything I needed from that. And I don't, I think if you would have had just one central character, I think that would have been missing in my opinion, personally. And I was a little taken aback that people criticized it heavily for that. I was like, what really? Like, I thought that was awesome. Like, you know, so many different awesome characters to kind of dive into at the same time. I think they probably should have in retrospect focused a little more about Avon Chris, maybe like it's a little bit more and people would have been happier with that. But at the same time, which I love her, by the way, she's like with me and Tim. I'm oh, with you, Tim. Like, yeah, easily my favorite Jedi from that um, as of right yep. now. Um, so, yeah, like I'm I'm all about it. So um, but yeah, I, I think this is, was a fantastic introduction to everything. No, yeah, I agree as far as this was the right direction to go to introducing not just these new characters, but this new era of Star Wars and that's what this book was doing. So instead of just focusing on one particular main character, I really loved, like you guys said, how it focused on a bunch of different characters and into one converging story. And not only just with the Jedi, but just with characters that are introduced in the first few chapters that we don't ever see again later mm -hmm. on because unfortunately they're victims of the great disaster. But I just felt that was a great way of introducing as into this era of Star Wars that we've never read about before. And we're just getting introduced to the livelihood and just the way of life of certain people in this galaxy, in particular in the Outer Rim. And then we slowly make our way to introducing to the Jedi and then to the Supreme Chancellor of this era. But this, the way it kind of slowly progressed into that and just letting us put our, like, put our toes, <laughs> tip our toes into the pool in this new High Republic era till we fall fully going in for a swim in this brand new era of star Wars and just introducing the way of life and how characters view the Jedi, the Republic and this, all these different things showing that this is a different part of star Wars that we haven't read before. And I loved it. And just one of my favorite things about it, it's a small thing, but just the fact that uh, Bacta is kind of just starting to make its way known and mm -hmm. being harvested as a new way, as a medical um as a way for you to use as a medical healing property it's i forget the name of what they're using now but just how back is supposed to be like the new miracle drug of the galaxy that can do wonders and just a little way people are talking about it as some brand new thing but yet as as lifelong star wars fans that's all pretty much we ever 
heard of as far as when you talk about medical terms in Star Wars, it's always back to back to back. To. <laughs> and the fact that it's just being introduced here and this uh, brand new thing in the galaxy, I thought was pretty cool. And just showing you again, one of those small ways of just how this is a different era for Star Wars and things are going to be working a little differently here. And I really appreciate that because when you're 200 years before the events of the movies, things should be different and but not so drastically different. So that's why I think if you're going to tell stories in like the old Republic era, 3000 or several thousand years ago, things should be drastically different. And but this one in this High Republic era are different just enough, but yet not so far back that you can't um, believe or put in your uh, in the main timeline that this is only 200 years back, but yet it feels like it's a thousand years back. But at the same time, it's 200 years, but then you can say, oh, it only feels like it's 20 or so years before the events of the movie. So I thought it struck a nice balance of being where it's at in the timeline by some of the things um, that we learn in this novel, but not necessarily central to the overall plot of this book, but just establishing the way things work in the galaxy um, here with introducing us to these different characters and their different ways of life. Just before we even get to the Jedi, that just opens the floodgates for a more new perspective on things, which I can't wait to talk about. But yeah, I just thought it was a good idea to for this novel to focus mainly just introducing us to this era of Star Wars as it should, rather than just these new characters of this era. So yeah, I thought Charles Soule did a great job as far as having this be a nice introduction into the High Republic. Yeah, and just like you were saying, as far as sort of setting the stage and the time period, one thing that I really appreciated was like, that there is, like you said, some connective tissue and like just enough to make it feel like it's in the same universe and it's 200 years before, which is like, it's a long way back, but not so far that like you can't have some familiar things. Like, for example, obviously Yoda is still part of the Jedi Order. And mm -hmm. I like how he is still like he would be like 700 years old at this point. So he's still kind of like the oldest and wisest and most powerful member of the Order, except like at this point in his life, instead of like leading the Jedi Council like we see in the prequels, he's kind of like – they mentioned him being like on a sabbatical or something. Um, and it's yeah. just kind of funny to think like, you know, Yoda's been on the Jedi Council for so long, he kind of just comes and goes as he pleases sometimes. <laughs> um, and then I think yeah, at the end – They kind of make mention of that in the comic where – some of the characters in the first issue of the Marvel comics saying, Oh, Master Yoda, this means you're coming back to the Jedi Council? Like, there's Jedi who want him back on the Council because it seems like that's where he belongs. But, like you said, having this be 200 years before, um, we, it makes sense that Yoda wouldn't just always be on the Council for yeah. the most of his life as a Jedi. And I think at the end, they even mention he, like, he does come back, but he's like with a group of younglings that he's been training or something. And so, you know, he likes to switch it up from time to time. Um, but then you've also got like Yarrow Poof and Op uh, Oppo Rancisis, who are uh, Jedi that we see on the council, like in episode one, um, and they're still around, um, but not like major characters. And so I like that, you know, there's it's not like the main character is like the great great grandfather of Mace Windu or something like that. Like it's not sort of mm -hmm. in your face with the connections, but it's, you know, just little touches here and there that obviously the hardcore fans are going to notice. I also love the fact that like the Santeca family is uh, like a big presence here. And that's obviously tying it all the way into the sequel trilogy with Lor Santeca, who's a character that we'd never really got to meet or explore too much in The Force Awakens. But knowing that like his family is sort of like a well-known, wealthy family of hyperspace prospectors, um, 
is pretty cool because i mean they have an interesting role in this story and then it also makes sense that uh you know that he's somebody that would know where luke skywalker is in uh the sequel trilogy mm-hmm. um or at least <laughs> well, have, at least well, have that cer- map to him well it certainly sounds like the, the san Tecas have like a uh, they're, they're, they, they know they're more tied to the force than maybe we even realized through this story, which was really interesting. Again, you're deepening the fact that why Lord Zanteca might even be interested in the force at all. And you get those hints right in the story. And I thought that was really, really fascinating to be quite honest. And again, more of the part of the mystery that I can't wait to, un- to unravel as the, we get more content and more books, you know? So there's just a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. Cause I think on the surface, the one thing I think, and again, maybe, maybe we're reading too much into it. I mean, Lord knows I love to read a lot into things, but, <laughs> um, but no, in all seriousness, I think like, if you think about the, the whole Nile, Nihil, right? Like on surface, sound like a pretty boring enemy. But the, the thing is Marshawn, uh, Marshawn Rowe, um, he is such an interesting character yeah. that you you can't help but be like, hey, what's going on here? Uh-huh. Like, there's more going on. And and like, in fact, I would say like Marshawn Rose, I liked him a lot before the end of the book. But when he gets to the end of the book, you get kind of a feeling like there's more going on here than what they're letting on. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's, like, there's yeah. definitely one part. And I know we're kind of jumping all over the story here. So like. People that have read the book, you know what we're talking about. If you haven't read it and you don't really care about it and you're kind of just listening to us to, yeah. you know, to spoiler hear the story. You know, well, spoiler alert, but also sorry we're kind of jumping all over the place and it's going to be kind of hard for you to follow anyway. But um, – and I mean maybe we should stop and kind of do like a, a brief plot synopsis. But I know you're talking about, Paul, like at the end where the Nile are kind of um, – you know, they've been operating in the shadows. You know, they're this little – more or less like small time band of marauders, but they've got this hyperspace tech that Martian Rowe has brought to the group where they can, uh, you know, sort of jump in and out of hyperspace and like use hyperspace travel lanes that nobody else in the galaxy can use. And like sort of cut across like, uh, normally established hyperspace routes. And that's how this whole book starts is, you know, we start off with the freighter, the, um, the legacy run. And it's this big passenger transport that's traveling through hyperspace. And then, suddenly there's like some unknown anomaly in the hyperspace lane and they try to steer out of the way of it. And just because it's this big old cargo freighter, like it tears apart trying to do this like high G maneuver through hyperspace. Um, So the ship explodes, like the pilot and a bunch of people die and like shrapnel and fragments of the ship start just randomly appearing out of hyperspace. And, um, it, it mainly is in this one star system called Hetzal. Um, that's where the book starts out and the Jedi go and try to save the Hetzal system from this great disaster, um, which I want to talk about it in, a, in a sec too, as far as this being the touch point that connects like all the other stories um, and this being like the great disaster that they hyped up. But um, yeah, so the Jedi are dispatched. They, uh, you know, they save the Hetzal system from being destroyed by all this, you know, shrapnel that's falling out of light speed. Um, and that's like the first third of the book right there. And you don't even know that the Nile are involved. Like you don't even meet them till maybe like a hundred pages in. Um, but I, I mean, honestly, I think that first third of it was probably my favorite part of the book. Just introducing us to all these Jedi characters. No, I agree. 
Um, yep. and, we'll, and we'll come back and get all in-depth about all the cool Jedi moments in there because I know I've got some that I want to talk about and I'm sure you guys do too. Um, but then from there, it goes to another system where there are no Jedi and some more stuff is still coming out of hyperspace and it like kills like 20 million people on one of the planets. Um, but some people manage to escape and they're like out on the edge of the system, you know, gathering up this convoy. And then the Nile just show up out of nowhere and like rip their convoy apart. And again, they're just these savage marauders that, you know, kind of just jump out of hyperspace like boogeymen and they just they'll rip your ship apart and kill you and take whatever you want or take whatever they want. And like I said, out on the outer rim, they're kind of feared um and and have a scary reputation but they're also small enough that like not a lot of people have heard about them they're not really on the jedi's radar um but they become more on the jedi's radar throughout the book they kind of get more bold and you know one of the nile leaders goes off and tries to like extort this one planet where they think more of the shrapnel is going to show up and so and then that gets like broadcast to the rest of the republic so everybody knows who these guys are now and they know that they're involved somehow and then they're able to like recover the uh the black box transponder from the legacy run and they find out that that object that they initially were trying to avoid in hyperspace that caused them to break apart in the first place was a nile ship that just kind of cut across their path um and uh you know, so at this point, like the Nile are kind of on their heels. Like now the Jedi are after them. Everybody knows they're involved. And the leader, Martian Rowe, um, says to the other ones, he's like, you you kind of, like you said, Paul, you kind of hear his thoughts. And it's like to- the, the chapter is told like from his perspective. And he's like, at last, this is it. This is my time. This is, you know, the time has finally come, you know, to reshape the Nile and, and, you know, makes it sound like he's got this grand plan. And then he goes to the, the other three like commanders and he's like, all right, we're going to get the black box back. So they can't find us. And then we're going to lie low for a while and build our forces back up. And I'm like, that's it. That's your grand plan. Like, you know, I was kind of getting my hopes up, but like now this guy's kind of sounding like a lame villain, but I'm also like, but maybe there's more to this and they're just like not letting on. And sure enough, then a couple chapters later, stuff really starts unfolding and it's like, oh, like there, <laughs> there was one part where my wife, Allison walked in while I'm reading this. And uh, it was during, like, the end battle when all the Nile ships start, like, doing the little micro hyperspace jumps and crashing into the other ships and stuff. She walks out and goes, how's your book? And she looks at me and my jaw's just hanging open. And she's like, oh, good, I guess, huh? (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I really like the Nile as villains, too. That's awesome. I I liked how – I liked their progression throughout the book. And I like how – you know, they start off kind of small scale and and I remember like in all the lead up to this too, them talking about they really wanted to get into like what scares the Jedi. And so, um, you know, obviously like this band of marauders causing trouble is like a good starting point, but that wouldn't scare the Jedi. But then the fact that they have this like secretive hyperspace technology that lets them take shortcuts and do all kinds of crazy jumps and maneuvers that nobody else can do. It's like, okay, that gets more interesting. And then you add this shady guy to the top of the organization who has his own plans. And he's the one that like, he's kidnapped like the oldest matriarch of the Santeca family. And she's so old that like, she thinks she's just hyperspace prospecting and doesn't realize that she's doing it for this like evil pirate leader guy. Um, but she's like this prodigy and she's the one that he gets all his information and his navigational charts from and stuff. But 
but but here's the thing though the, and this is what is, i think is really cool is that this character the santeca ancestor she, that he's using she's got force abilities basically because she can see where they're going like that's the yeah. thing i took it from it, I, it, it wasn't it's, like it's very possible like it never outright confirms that um but she definitely is either force sensitive or like I don't know. They just talked about how from from a young age, you know, she was she could like see just could find hyperspace routes and just had a knack for for navigation and stuff that like nobody else could understand. But I think but that's the thing, though, I don't think there's any way that she wouldn't be like you can't do that unless you're special in some kind of like ability. And that's a rare thing because not everyone if that was the case and they have multiple people they wouldn't really need her. And the fact that, like, they're keeping her alive, like, and she's not only that, but she's lived that long. Like, there's something there. Like, there's there's some kind of force sensitivity of at least of some kind that is, you know, that she's tapping into. That's the way I looked at it. Well, because not only that, it's not like it's like it's their grandmother. Like, it's like an ancestor. Like, it's like they're it's someone like they it's like it's, I don't know, they don't even know how how long you know removed she is from the Santeca family from those people we, they don't even know and that's why i think the force is involved and she's either she's either she's force sensitive and the jedi just missed her from all you know because she's so old and, and back in the day or there's something else at play so there's just it's really fascinating i hope it's something interesting not just something like i'm like out of hyperspace and they're keeping me alive that'd be lame wouldn't it it would make sense too for someone as old as she would be kind of discovering these hyperspace lanes for the first time for someone to be force sensitive to do that, especially the, for the knowledge that she ends up possessing as far as these different routes uh, to take. It wouldn't make sense that it would be someone who's force sensitive. Again, go taking it back to that star Wars rebels episode with the call with the purgle, as far as maybe some, cause we know that they were creatures who, pretty much travel in hyperspace and that's where the technology could have originated from but maybe be as force sensitive and connective with them as creatures when no one else really could to get these lanes that they would travel and these different routes um, that she would take so just recalling back to that just how with the connection of the force i think it just makes so much sense for a lot of hyperspace discovery and travel to maybe be discovered by someone who was force sensitive. It makes a sense in a lot of ways, especially when you look back at that Rebels episode, knowing that hyperspace does come from like actual living creatures that someone with a connection with the force could draw upon to learn that knowledge too and how to travel amongst those different hyperspace routes that they would. Yeah. And I'll be honest, actually, I had a theory going for a good part of the book because they mentioned that these path engines which are like the, the the special engines that the Nile have that let them use these like hyperspace coordinates and stuff. It's like a glowing, like green, a glowing green, like half orb that's just like attached to the back of the ship. And then you've got this like really old, mysterious lady that somehow is controlling all of these. I thought maybe she was going to be a night sister. Um, mm. Cause that just kind of had, you know, Dathomir vibes to me and especially like you know the some glowing green mystical stuff on the back of the ship but i don't think i don't think they're going that i don't yeah i don't well i don't think they're going that direction i'm just saying that's one thing that crossed my mind as i was reading it but then as i got further into it i was like oh okay maybe not um 
But anyway, I mean, you know, force sensitive or not, I think even if she is just like a normal person that just happens to be like a genius prodigy at hyperspace travel, I mean, that still, you know, added an interesting twist to this whole Nile thing. It's like, okay, now we know, um, you know, where they get this technology and this information from. We have something that's sort of linking the main bad guy to uh, some of the... um, you know, Republic characters that we know, because it was what I think like Velis Santeca and his partner um, were helping them out. And at first you think, oh, these guys are kind of shady because the Jedi can sense that they're not telling them everything. Um, and then we kind of go to the Nile perspective, and that's when we find out about the, the old matriarch. Um, and so they just didn't want to share that with the Jedi. Maybe, because, and I don't think, like, they don't even know where she's at at this point. Um and so that'll yeah, be something like, that'll they be feel like it is her, but they can't know for sure because she'd be so old at this point. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. How like, could she still be alive? Yeah, they don't even know she's still alive. So that'll be something interesting too to see unfold in future stories, like how the whole Santeca family dynamic is gonna connect. Um, and are they gonna end up going looking for her or you know, what's gonna happen when they find out that she has some part to play in this and are you know, are the Jedi gonna then hold them responsible or something like that. So um definitely you know that's just one of the things that kind of sets up for more interesting future stories down the road um but also like i said just kind of added another interesting twist into this nile and you know they kept adding layers to it that made them so much more than just a random band of marauders and then um like i said martian robing and even throughout the the early parts of the book they kind of build him up to just be like this guy that you know, he's, he's got a mysterious background. Like he's obviously like wealthy and got resources and his father came into this organization and then he assumed his father's mantle after his father died. But like, he doesn't really do anything with the Nile aside from like, he just provides them the information. They go out and do their raids and stuff. And then he gets like a third of, um, the profits of whatever they get if they use his engines for it. And so he's almost like a, um, like a ceremonial like figurehead, like he's not out there leading them on raids, and you know they have the three, um, I forget what they call them. They're but they're all like you know the Nile. They like all their ranks are based on like storm clouds, and you have like storms and strikes and clouds and tempest runners. I think that's what it is. The tempest runners are like the three, yeah. um, the three like generals essentially, and they kind of like report to Marshy and Roe, but they also are the ones kind of like leading the the regular people of the organization by themselves and they're the ones planning all the raids and stuff and they just kind of have to get his permission for all of it and so he seems very kind of like hands off until you realize at the end that he's got this grand plan um and also like at the very end of the book one of the jedi has a vision of you know just a lot more darker and nefarious things coming down the road that are not just like the nile raiding planets and stuff um and you know they talked about that too i remember in some of just like the video teasers and stuff that they did for this you know again wanting to address that question of what scares the jedi but like starting off with the nile and then like kind of just getting into bigger and scarier threats from there so um i think this is a good start as far as villains go and i think obviously martian roe has bigger plans and, and aspirations um than just you know, the Nile. And so we'll see what other kind of stuff he kicks up and then maybe who else might come along. But I think these guys were definitely good, um, you know, good villains to start off with again, for sort of establishing this new era and a new conflict with, you know, somebody for the Jedi to fight other than the Sith. Um, 
mm-hmm. but to you know provide a, a decent enough challenge to have a good story and believable conflicts for this first book and then setting the stage for uh you know some potentially even more dark and deadly and dangerous enemies down the road yeah i really liked the nile as villains as far as being something new for star wars as a main threat they did a great job of like you said kind of first establishing just as this band of marauders and they were kind of described by the writers like vikings in the star wars universe but they really were became so much more than that by the time it's over and just even throughout the course of the book as far as learning more about them and the roles of not just the tempest runners but like the role of the eye of the nile which marshawn roe and his father were and just how there wasn't no set ruler amongst them i believe it was described even as not the rule of two but the rule of three is what they went by and how if there's like a tiebreaker, then that would go to the eye of the Nile to make the final final decision on what to do. But just how the whole structure of work of the group I found fascinating. This the different levels, like you were mentioning, the, the strikes, clouds, storms, tempest, tempest runners, just everything involving uh, storm and this uh, terrible weather that would be the mark of their incoming because they would be described as these clouds in space that no one would expect to see coming. But when you do see it, it's already too late um, for those who are familiar with what the Nile can do. Um, so, yeah, just really some cool stuff. And I'll, another thing I really like, too, with just I forget the name of it, but kind of like their grand hall where they have the celebrations mm-hmm. where it's just pretty much open space. I think they just called this, it. The, yeah, I think they just platforms. called it the Great Hall of the Nile. Okay. I think that's what it was called. Yeah, I just love the description of it, how it was just open space <laughs> where they're at with just these few little platforms that you would see. But it just sounded really cool, and I'd love to see that uh, visualized sometimes, whether it's maybe in a comic, but I would love it if it was an animation or a live action at some point. But it just sounded really cool as a setting for have all these groups of aliens and species with these uh, weird design helmets and face coverings it would just be a really cool visual thing i think to see on screen at some point so yeah i thought the nile um i was interested in them when they were first introduced and teased in some of those teasers and promo videos but wasn't uh, quite sure how they play out and just how much of a threat they would actually be to the jedi but i'm totally sold on them now as far as being a, a potentially really big threat to the jedi with what Martian Rowe has planned and just what he had orchestrated here um, in this first novel already. You know, things are only going to get uh, probably a lot more crazier and his schemes are going to get bigger moving on forward. So it definitely left you with that feeling of, you know, dread for <laughs> the Jedi, especially if you're a, a, um, not just reading Light of the Jedi, but some of the stuff that's teased later on in uh, some of the first few issues of the comics. Uh, just the reaction that some Jedi had just with their encounters with them, it left a mark. So uh, mm-hmm. just some cool stuff and some school seeds being planted for them being a really big threat for the Jedi and s- stories down the road here in the High Republic. I they kind of, you know, I guess kind of put a little uh, period on my, and I think maybe the whole Nihilk thing for a minute would be, uh, I thought it was very also intriguing, which we'll, we'll get to the Marshawn Rose kind of thing at the end at towards the end of our discussion, I think, but Marshawn Rowe, you don't know what his species is, or it's humanoid, but you don't know. But they never describe what he looks like. I thought that was very interesting, and I don't think it was uh, an accident that they we don't know. Well, I think he does have they, a cool design though with that helmet. Well, they, <laughs> no, they, they, helmet him, yeah. they did cool. describe him at one point in the book. They said he had like gray skin and like long black hair and like black eyes. 
Um, yeah, but is but right, but we don't know what that is. And that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, is, yeah. They they never name his species or anything. I'm just saying they they did give a physical description at some point. I don't remember. I, I remember him having gray skin, but I don't remember having dark, long, dark hair. I don't remember that part. But maybe, but the, I'm not. I'm not. My retention of that kind of stuff for books is really hard. If it's not visual, it's tough for me to remember it. But I I will say that I thought it was very interesting. One, they didn't they didn't really go into his species. And they didn't get more details on what he looked like other than that. It was very sparse. And again, I think that's purposeful. And I think there's I think there's more to Marshawn Road than what meets the eye. But you know, it, it's funny because I, I talked about how I love that there's so many different characters, but there's I will say that the one drawback to all that is that I always forget people's names. Besides Avon Chris and um oh gosh, is it Cloud Rider? What's it what's his name? The Twilight? Great is Storm. Oh, Load and Great Storm. Yeah, Graystorm. I can always I wasn't call him Cloud Rider for some reason. <laughs> um, no, Graystorm. Graystorm in his in his uh, obviously Graystorm and his um, Padawan are another bright spot of this book. I yeah. really really enjoyed their their interactions and and obviously what's his, what's the, this is a problem. I don't I'm so bad with names. <laughs> Bell. What's the, yeah, Bell's, Bell. That's Bell's right. Edifar. Yeah, I I I remember most of the names. Um, but yeah, loaded, loaded, great storm is my favorite of all the new Jedi in here. Yeah, yeah, t- totally. No, he's he's a great character. And I really like their, you know, again, going back to the Jedi, you know, they, they're, they're on that planet and um, and they're trying to like figure out things and they're talking to that old retired Jedi and then the you know, you get some things from him, his perspective a little bit. Very, very interesting. I don't know. It's just, it was really cool to kind of see, like they have their own like ship. That's like a Jedi ship specifically for them to, 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 to drive around in. Just super, super interesting. Yeah. And how the weapons you unlock with your lightsaber. That, I, I love that. Absolutely yeah. love that. Yeah. The <laughs> fact that on their starfighters you have to ignite your lightsaber and basically insert it as a key, like into the console. And so then it like draws power from the lightsaber to like fire the lasers and stuff. I thought that was such a cool idea. It, it, it was interesting. I mean, like, it's like, you know, you wonder what the significance of that is. Like, if that's because they have to, you know, it has to be basically, you know, it has, it's a big deal to do it. Like, it's a big deal to draw your weapons kind of a thing to a yeah, point where. I, yeah, I'm sorry not to interrupt. No, you're no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. No, but I just think of what Yoda says. Luke tells Luke and if I strike back a Jedi and uses uh, it for the use the force for knowledge and defense, never yeah. for attack. And that's kind of a way you would treat that's how you treat you using a lightsaber so that would make sense if you're a jedi in a spaceship you should hold that same train of thought as well and mm-hmm. it makes sense to use a lightsaber um to do ignite your weapons just as you would to ignite your lightsaber to defense when you need to use it so it just yeah. makes sense that it would be applied to both when you're in and out of a ship yeah totally no totally there's it was it was really cool to see um, the different aspects of these different Jedi, which, which again, I think is the strength of the book. And I'm going to call probably to my favorite part of the book when um, Avon Chris is trying to kind of, you know, seek out through the force, try to hear, you know, if there's survivors, yeah. if there's, you know, different, you know, just kind of try to feel what's out there and use the force. And she just sits down and meditates in a field. 
turns a lightsaber on, has it starts twirling in the oh, air. Oh, awesome. And <laughs> yeah, dude, and uses the hum of the lightsaber yes, uh. and uses that and uses the force through the hum and use it as the music to kind of concentrate and spread the force throughout and contact people. I was like, I, I, I was listening to it at work and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, holy crap. Like, that's, that's freaking awesome. Like, that's, that's what uh, I'm talking about. Yeah, honestly, that's the moment where I said, man, I love this book. <laughs> same, same, same. I love what they're doing. I just love that. And my new favorite term is Song of the Forest. So that's yes. a big reason why I, Avar Chris is my favorite character so far in the High Republic. Just the way she hears the Force and views it as music. I think that's just such an awesome concept and just a way to view the Force and how she treats it as a song. And like I said, using that lights, the light, hum of the lightsaber, which is one of the greatest sounds ever. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it just makes sense that you would draw on that to attune your sense to the force. It was just really cool. I love I that. Think, yeah. It, it, really, really quick. I just want to, to really quick on, on what Tim was saying. The, the thing is, is I, we haven't got a lot of different like Jedi stuff in the new canon period. Meaning like, you know, branching out. We got things here or there. You had, you know, Kylo Ren stop the lightsaber, you know, thing and, and, you know, go in people's minds and take things out. There's a couple things here or there, but nothing really like that seems creative. You know what I mean? Like that seems like kind of uh, with the exception well, of. Go ahead, Tim. No, I was just going to say I, the force connection that Ray and Kylo had throughout Last Jedi. Well, I was, I was yeah. going to say okay. that I think that the force dyad was you know, one of the few. But, but I'm talking about force abilities for like. That's not like a like a, a you know a really special thing like uh -huh. what what they have, but like a sure. literal thing that's like, you know something like like we get in, in this book, and we haven't got things that are really creative. I feel with, besides maybe a few things here or there in Star Wars New Canon, period. And Charles Soule has been behind a good chunk of like really interesting things in the Force, in the comic books, and now in this book. That I'm just like, why can't this guy just like write everything? Like I just I know, but seriously, I mean, hey, there's, I mean, like the Darth Vader series, like you know, there's tons of great force stuff in there, but but regardless, there's so much of that stuff that's in this book that like takes a Jedi culture and expands on it, and not just like on a very like light level, like well, we don't want to offend anybody because. We don't want to do something that they're going to be not like. It, it, they kind of went for it a little bit on this. I, I got to give them credit. It, it, it wasn't like they they went all in and said, guess what? We're going to go ahead and turn everything you, you know you know about this around. No, no, they didn't do that. But what they did do was said, you know, we're going to kind of take some chances, do a couple different things that maybe are different. Maybe people might be like, what, what is Jedi doing? You know, what are all that crap? And they took some chances. And you know what? Like, I think they've paid off like pretty well. Yeah, and, definitely. Like, I, I think it was cool to see, you know, like you said, them using the force in some new creative ways, but it didn't feel like too much of a leap to think that like, you know, it's like these are still the same Jedi, maybe a couple hundred years before, before the Sith really started rising to power. Yeah. You know, maybe their, their vision was a little less clouded, so maybe they could do some more 
you know, powerful things or, or use the force in more ways than they could during the prequel trilogy. And that's why we don't see this kind of stuff during the movies. But it also didn't feel, you know, there there was nothing that you read and went, hold on a second, a Jedi can't do that. Or, you know, that you really had to try to wrap your mind around. It was just like, oh, cool. This is a way that we've never really seen the force used before. I will say I really liked the way that Avar could like tap into the force and kind of connect with all the other Jedi in this big battle. And like, um, it just kind of, you know, she almost acted as like a network hub. Like she could link herself to all the other Jedi and just kind of communicate through feelings and instincts to like, let people know where things were or what things were coming. And it was all very, you know, it wasn't straight telepathy. Like she wasn't talking to them. She wasn't mind controlling them, but it, Again, it just it was a very sort of mystical Jedi way that felt very grounded within Star Wars and like made a lot of sense within the established sort of canon of what we know that the Jedi are and what they can do, but a cool new extension of it. And again, the way that she's just feeling or just sharing like thoughts or like feelings and and instincts and images and like ways that we kind of know that the Force speaks to people. Um, But I also thought it was really cool how... Uh, like you were saying, like she views the force as a song and can kind of hear different frequencies that she can tune into and stuff like that. But also the way it described how as like all these other Jedi that she's connecting with all see it their own different way. And, you know, Elzar Mann, who's like her companion for a lot of the book, he views it as an ocean and, you know, with these vast depths to explore and other Jedi. I forget what some of the other ones were, but, you know, each Jedi had their own sort of thing, you know, their own way that they like conceptualized or visualized the force. And I just thought that was really cool. Um, but also just even with her ability to to be able to connect and sort of influence all these Jedi like that, it reminded me a lot of like in the Old Republic era. And I think this was probably introduced first in in the Knights of the Old Republic game where Bastila has this ability called battle meditation, where it's mm-hmm. kind of similar where she can like meditate during a battle and sort of subtly influence you know, basically give like a subtle morale boost to the people on her side and sort of subtly influence the people on the other side to kind of take away their will to fight. And so again, not mind control, not like directly doing anything to influence the battle, but just by sort of changing people's perceptions or their their morale or their mindset, it can, you know, make a big change and really turn the tide of battle. And so this instantly made me think of that, but also, you know, just the way that it was described and the way that she did it was, um, you know, kind of just put its own unique spin on it. So I thought that was really cool. But the other thing, too, is like even with the Jedi doing all these cool new, uh, you know, powers and things with the Force, like it also, like I said, kept it very grounded. And you feel that like these are people with very powerful abilities and stuff and, you know, the ability to just tap into the awesome power that is the Force, but also sort of kept them very like grounded and human at the same time, because you would see like the exhaustion and the strain that it put on them. Um, like at one point when they're trying to save the Hetzal system, like she's coordinating all these Jedi across the entire system just to try to do one massive force push to like move this one fuel canister that's like headed towards the sun. And if it impacts, it's going to like blow up the whole system. Um, and so, you know, you've got dozens or hundreds of Jedi spread out all over the solar system. And she's trying, trying to get them all to concentrate on this one point and just nudge this object with the force and the amount of strain that it puts on them. Like some Jedi die from it. Like some of them are flying in ships and they have to put all their effort on 
you know, um, the thing that they're focusing on. And so they lose control of their ships and crash. Some of them just straight up, like, just die from exhaustion. Um, and even later in the book, too, it describes, you know, Jedi, like, having to try to focus on one thing. And, like, at the end of the book, Loden Greatstorm gets captured by Martian Roe, and he puts him in, like, a, a prison block with a bunch of other prisoners that he's just like randomly electrocuting at random intervals so that like their suffering and pain will like cloud Loden's mind and keep him from being able to use the force enough to escape. And I thought like, that's like some Sith level stuff right there. Like obviously Martian Roe knows a lot about the Jedi and knows how to keep them subdued. Um, but I also just thought like, as much as I hated to see that happen to my favorite character, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And again, a good way to go about it, because you would think putting a Jedi in a prison cell, like, of course, they're going to get out. Like, how many times have we seen Anakin and Obi-Wan slip out of, you know, whatever, but, um, you know, to, to like, sort of mentally keep him distracted and keep him in pain and, and you know, keep him from being able to focus enough to use the force. It just showed that like, you know, the Jedi aren't superheroes and this isn't just like an infinite well of power that they can use whenever and wherever for whatever purpose. Like it does take, you see, like you see what they can do with it, but you also see how much training it takes and how much effort and concentration. You touched on something very, very interesting, which is, Man, Marshawn sure knows a lot about the uh, Jedi. <laughs> so I, you know, that that to me was something that I one thought was going to be just kind of like whatever, like okay, that's fine, let's just get this over with. To all of a sudden, I'm like, holy crap! Like this, what what he's talking to Graystorm about? Like this is a big deal. Like this is a kind of a big reveal. Like there's more at stake here. Than, than we even realize, and I, I got a theory. You know, are we re- are we ready to theory- theorize about uh, Marshawn Rowe yet? Like, because I mean, I feel this is kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I I I still got stuff at the beginning of the book that I want to talk about, but yeah, we can just well go go yeah, yeah, yeah. well yeah. go for it yeah go well go for it go for it go for it. No, no. Well, I, I just wanted to talk about, I mean, I and Tim, I didn't know if you had anything else you wanted to add about like Avar Chris and the whole song of the force and everything, but I was just going to talk about, um, well, first of all, with that moment in particular, when, and like you said, Paul, when she's like meditating in the field, has her lightsaber spinning in front of her and has like, you know, she's like the hum of the lightsabers resonating and that's how she's connecting with all the Jedi and stuff. That was such a cool moment. I love the way that Charles Sewell just wrote that whole scene and described it. I could like just perfectly visualize everything that was happening. And for whatever reason, this made me think when they do the Star Wars visions, like animated thing, that's supposed to be like the anime inspired shorts or whatever. I would love to see this done in that style. I don't know why, but like in my brain, I wasn't just picturing, I wasn't just picturing what was happening. I was picturing it playing out like shot by shot, almost as if it was like a movie, but for whatever reason, the way that he was describing it, it just, my brain just pictured it as like an anime or, you know, like some stylized animation with like just this grass whipping around her, the lightsaber spinning, you know, and cutting to like these close-ups of these Jedi's faces as they're all concentrating and stuff. I was like, man, I would kill to see some sort of visualized, uh, you know, adaptation of this. Um, and then I also, I thought the same thing too, where one of my other favorite moments early on in the book is where uh, Loden and Bell are on the planet of um, Hetzal 
and you know they're trying to help people evacuate and they go to this one compound like they fly down on their ships and you know they're they're searching through the forest they're like okay like we're just showing up to help we don't know what we're doing we don't know where we're going we're just trusting the forest to guide us and then they sense conflict and so they head for that area and there's like some rich family with this big estate and they've got a ship that's large enough to evacuate like several hundred people, but they've got it locked behind a gate and they've got armed guards and there's a big mob outside of just common people that are trying to get in so they can get off the planet because they think it's doomed. Um, and there's been, you know, evacuation orders given and stuff. So they're trying to get to the ship and this, you know, these people that own the ship aren't letting anybody on. And so uh Loden and Bell show up and they're trying to like negotiate with the guards to let the people in and then these pirates show up and start just like killing people and so then Loden and Bell have to fight the pirates off and then the armed guards start jumping in and they're like okay we're gonna take this opportunity to try to take the Jedi out because they're like making our job difficult um but then so the Jedi like defeat all the pirates and and uh Loden turns back to the guards and I forget what he says but he's just got this cool like commanding presence like i don't know what it is but mar uh, uh load and great storm to me like as i'm reading it i could just hear him with like this deep commanding voice and he almost to me has the energy of like an older anakin skywalker if he had stayed with the jedi mm. like he's powerful he's he's commanding he also like he's got a sense of humor about him um he's like really tough on his padawan bell but like in kind of like a loving way like he's not like a jerk to him he's just like, like he'll he'll be like you know padawan you got this i believe in you and then just like leave him to fend for himself in a life or death situation and be like well you're gonna survive it or you're not and if you do you're gonna be a better jedi for it like you know he's just he's tough on him but just kind of has this like happy-go-lucky kind of attitude about him almost but he's just he's super cool and i love him but he's you know so he he turns back to these guards and he says something about you know now that they've seen him in action and seen him take out all these pirates and he's like you know you're gonna let these people in and he like and he's like a distance away from this like the gate to the compound and he points his lightsaber at them ignites the lightsaber and the gates just blow open and again it's just the way he wrote it i'm like i could totally visualize this just as a you know, some kind of anime or just a, a really cool stylized animation moment um, with just, you know, the lightsaber igniting like almost directly into the camera and then just zooming out to the gates and they blow open or something like that. So um, just some really cool, like, again, not even visual moments because it's a book, but moments that are just written so well that like show off the Jedi's powers and um, – just, you know, do a good job of, like, quickly establishing and also just m making these characters likable and memorable and uh, making you realize how powerful the Jedi are in this time period and doing it in a way that, for me at least, was just, you know, I, I could visualize it so well as if this was, like, Star Wars on screen. Yeah, I agree with everything you said right there. And this whole sequence of the Jedi coming to help the Hetzel system was just pretty much all I was hoping for in this new era of star Wars and seeing the Jedi of this era, just how different they are from the Jedi in the prequels. And that's how it should be. They really just came across as the heroes of the galaxy. And, you know, as Luke said in the last Jedi, the Jedi will romanticize. And this is the reason why for acts like this, what they did here in the great disaster and some of the feats they took on to, save so many lives that they could and just from the get-go before they even started to help there was that moment where 
Avar Chris was on her ship and she's on her way. I forget who she was talking to, but it was a transmission, like a video transmission where she just, I don't remember the exact word for word, but some to the effect was like, we're the Jedi, we're here to help you, or we're the Jedi and everything's going to be okay. Some mm-hmm. to that effect where you can, you know, not necessarily relax, but rest assured help is on the way and it's coming from the Jedi like it should be. And just that heroic quality every Jedi showed here was just amazing to see. I just really loved how Charles So wrote the Jedi, all these different characters here, and just showing just how selfless they are and just how much they trusted in the Force to help these people in their greatest need during this disaster that no one knew what it was, but the Jedi knew they had to do everything they can to make sure to help as much people as they can. And it was led by Avar Chris, and it was just so great just how it went. You talked about it, Kyle, just her connection to the Force and how she used that connection to connect with other Jedi there. And just the more Jedi were connected, the stronger um, her connection was, and it got. And not even just Jedi that were in the Hetzel system, but just in other systems throughout the galaxy who were doing what they could um, to use their connection to the Force to strengthen it. Um, if you're familiar with Dragon Ball Z, it was just like Goku forming a spirit bomb and just connecting the spirit, the life essence of all living beings across the universe. It reminded me like that, uh, where Avar Chris is just strengthening her connection and with the Force and with the other Jedi in the Hetzel system to uh, make that piece of the of that debris to miss that star that would have just been catastrophic if it hit it. Um, so they knew they had to do everything they could. It was just amazing. And what I really appreciated about it, too, is just the way when Avar Chris was making that connection, when she's on the fields of Hetzel and just really doing all that she can in her connection with the Force, just how she described every bit of it, the way those forces communicating to her as a song and hearing the connections with other Jedi. And just when she feels the loss of a Jedi, as you described, some died during this event. And just everything that was playing out and how it was written, how uh, the dialogue by A.R. Chris here was described. To me, this was a moment in the book where it felt like this is such a great moment that I'm reading here. And it's almost something that, in my mind, could only be done in a novel. Because there was just so much going on and just so much descriptive information that she was given that made this moment so spectacular, in my opinion, where it would either have felt too choppy or it just wouldn't have the same you wouldn't be able to get everything encompassed as you would be able to in a novel where it could be described so beautifully as it was by charles Soult that made this moment so powerful and so like something that we never read before um that a jedi could do and other in their connection with other jedis as well but again i think you said like you said too paul i haven't read every um extended universe novel or book so maybe something similar like this happens in another story but as far as what i've read i haven't read anything like this as far as what the jedi were doing in this moment here it was just incredible to read this that whole opening not the opening but the whole first half of the book um it was just man i could not put it down when i was reading it um probably stayed up later more than i was planning to see when i first got it it would just kind of turn every page and see um, where how things would play out because it just was really, really impactful as far as what was being done by the Jedi here and something that I've always wanted to see and was hoping that this would be done in the High Republic era and was definitely 
on full display here. But not also the Jedi, or not just the Jedi, I should say, but I just liked how in this moment, everyone was doing what they can to work together to stop this disaster from getting worse. Um, could you just had other people not even uh, just the, who were not affiliated with the Jedi. You had that husband and wife uh, pilot team who mm-hmm. worked with the Jedi in an instance. Then you had that other flight crew with that captain who sacrificed himself to stay on board. Um, one of the, I believe it was like a communication a beacon or something where there was, it got hit and there were some survivors left on there. So his crew went to go rescue them. But one had to stay behind, and he was planning to have the droid stay behind long enough to kind of reset the motion on that tower from uh, being destroyed. But they found an- he found another survivor, and he had to use the droid to get that person on board uh, his ship, and he sacrificed himself. So it was just a great showing, again, not just a particular character or just a Jedi, but just this era of the galaxy in general, just how um, the different people who were living in it all worked together in this disaster to do what they can. It was just really good to see. And it really drove home that tagline, as we said at the beginning of this discussion, we are the Republic. That was on full display in this opening sequence here um, with the great disaster hitting Hetzel. And I just, again, was blown away by what I was reading and just how beautifully Charles so wrote it and, made you just really feel what was going on in the pages as you were reading it with all these different scenarios, with all these different generic, all the different characters doing what they can um, amongst this uh, great disaster here. It was just really spectacular to read. I don't think um, I've read anything like that in a Star Wars book, to be quite honest. And like I said, there's tons of them out there. But for me, this was um, one of the better reads I've ever had reading a Star Wars novel. And it was just in the beginning of this book. So it just made me excited for what was to come next. And maybe nothing uh, quite reached the height of that moment for the rest of the novel. But still, it was something that it would have been hard to top <laughs> moving uh, beyond that. But it just really set the stage beautifully for not just this book, but I think just the whole High Republic era for the characters that we're seeing here and just knowing what uh, we could probably expect to see more of um, in future stories in this era. So it just did a great job of just really setting everything in motion into such a satisfying way. It was just phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. And it wasn't quite on as big of a scale, but the moment later in the book when um, when Avar and Elzar Man like make it rain – uh, literally That's like right. using yeah. the force. That was also another really cool moment where it was like sort of written similarly. And you see them uh, just, you know, sh- straining really hard and exerting themselves and using the force in sort of a new and creative way. And it describes that like Elzar man is kind of known for that within the Jedi order. He likes to just tinker around and try to find new ways to use the force. And he never likes to do the same thing the same way twice. Um and they have all these droids that, you know, th- one of the technicians has built like this big network of droids that they're trying to use to predict where more of these ship fragments are going to come out of hyperspace. And it starts like overloading and heating up. And so they got to find a way to cool it off. And the Jedi literally like use the force to move the air around and create clouds and moisture and make it rain on this big uh, droid farm. And that was also um, sort of another cool force highlight moment. Well, so basically, the the end of the book is just like you were saying. Like Marshawn Rowe knows a lot about the Jedi, and he also doesn't underestimate him either. Like whereas everyone else, all his other idiots are, are you know will, and it's not just that he knows like he's done his research on it. He kind of knows how to handle them. 
And I thought I, just all of that and how he handles the lightsaber also. Yeah, was, that's true. <laughs> I was like, ooh, okay, all right. Like, uh, there's, I'm getting some dark side, maybe there's some, not, I don't want to say Sith, but there's some dark side something going on there with Marshawn Rowe. Something. There I could be, too. Well, I don't know, because... Oh, go ahead, Tim. I was just going to say where pretty much his whole, I don't want to say his whole plan, but he really wanted to capture a Jedi amongst this whole ordeal where it gets revealed at the very end where he set, he set different things in motions and gave different members of the Nile these assignments, knowing that the Jedi would be there to help out. And it was a little Palpatine-esque where he kind of was one step ahead of everyone and just saw everything playing out. And um, in a particular way, and it did play out how he wanted, and he got um, Great Storm captured, which is what he wanted. Now he has a new weapon with that lightsaber. So it just seems like getting a Jedi was a big part of his plan, and just moving forward, his plan is going to involve the Jedi, even on a greater, greater scale. And I don't want to, like you said, compare it too much to a Sith plan. At least I'm hoping there's something just a little different than wanting revenge for a certain reason. Heck, I would even be happy where he just it's all almost for like a, a sport type thing where the Jedi are obviously the power in the galaxy and he views them as a, someone to take down just to prove how powerful he is or his organization could be or the Nile could be to take him down. So even if it's as simple as that, I just don't want it to be something that's you're just going to make you think, oh, it's just similar to the Sith. <laughs> I just really hope they have something um, up their sleeve that's going to make it stand out and separate Marshawn Rowe and the Nile from the Sith and what their end game and their goal is um, in the long run. So, but it's definitely involves the Jedi. That's how they definitely left it as that once the book was over and Marshawn Rowe had his last sequence there with Great Storm. So we'll see where it plays out. But I'm just hoping for something a little bit more different than just dark side or elements of the Sith sprinkled in there. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing some elements work that work their way in somehow. I mean, with this being just 200 years before the movies and like, if there's going to be some big galaxy wide threat that the Jedi are facing, obviously the Sith are somewhere out there watching this happen and it's mm -hmm. not too long before they start making their move. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Sith get involved in this story somehow at some point like further down the line and obviously we know like we have the acolyte series uh coming probably you know sometime in the next two or three years or something that's also going to be set during the high republic era and i mean we don't even know for sure if that series is going to be about the sith just the name sort of seems to imply that and like the styling of the logo and just what we know about star wars i think all of us kind of jump you know you think acolyte you think like sith apprentice but um you know, so maybe they'll wait for that show to start to start tackling that. But I was even thinking, like, so Martian Rose got, uh, he, they mentioned he's got some, like, glowing purple rod or something like that. And then um, when Elzar Mann has his, like, traumatic vision at the very end of the book, I think it's even like it's an epilogue after, you know, sort of everything's finished. Mm -hmm. Um and he has this vision of all these terrible things happening across the galaxy and Jedi dying with these looks of terror on their faces and, you know, these huge monsters and stuff that are, like, way more terrifying than the Nile. And he mentioned – or he he sees, like, a man wielding this glowing purple rod and, like, unleashing terrible power with it or something like that. And so maybe that's some sort of Sith artifact 
And Martian Rowe is maybe not a Force user, but, you know, just knows a lot about Jedi and Sith and the Force and, uh, you know, wants to kind of tap into it in his own way or maybe just has the Sith artifact that he wants to use to unleash chaos on the Jedi or something like that. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they do something like that and work in sort of elements of, of the Sith and the dark side without having the main villain be a full on Sith Lord. Yeah, I could see that happening, but I would just, I'm really, really hoping that the Sith just at the most appear or play a part at the very, very end of the high Republic story, whether it's the final novel or if uh, the alkalite is going to be the final story set in the High Republic, knowing that it is near the end of it. Um, if a Sith makes their presence known there, or dare I say if Darth Plagueis <laughs> makes an appearance there, and that is uh, where they show up, it's at the very end. I'd be okay with that, but I'm just really, really hoping that the High Republic, just throughout all the stories, novels, comics, they're going to tell the Sith aren't really involved at all, and they're just a tease to set up the events and what we're going to see in The Phantom Menace, because it all depends on how much time is there going to be between the final High Republic story until The Phantom Menace? If it is going to just be a few years to where it makes sense to introduce uh, the Sith within Darth Plagueis or an apprentice Palpatine, which would be cool. But um, yeah, so in regards to Martian Rowe, hopefully, um, for me anyway, my personal opinion is that hopefully it's not too much uh, dark side related stuff that um, gets involved with his character later on down the line as we get more stories and more revealed about him. What I will say about Marshawn Rowe is I don't want him to be a Sith, but I think there's dark side something going on there. That's what I think. So to me, that just seems too easy, like like a fallback. A bad guy up he ends up being with the dark side. It just, well, that's, mean, the, that's the epic battle, though. But uh, this era of the Republic is supposed not to be that, though. That's the thing. It's... No, they said Sith. They said Sith, not True. dark side users. Yeah. Right? But I mean, but at I'm, the same time, it just. I'm sort of in the middle because, like, on, on the one hand, I would like to see. I think it would be cool to see, like, a fully, like, new, fleshed out villain that's not a Sith, not a dark side user, but somebody else who's just cunning and dangerous and can present a challenge to the Jedi. And of course we know that like the Jedi can't come face to face with a Sith Lord and have them reveal themselves. Cause that doesn't happen until the Phantom Menace. And it's the first time that's happened in like a thousand years. But on the other hand, part of me is wondering, like I said, if there's going to be like a big galaxy wide conflict and knowing that the Sith are out there, I'm just wondering, like, you know, I, I want to have some kind of story, maybe even just a side story, and maybe that's what the Acolyte will be, about, like, what are the Sith up to during this time period? Mm. And is there, like, would they maybe try to take advantage of this situation in some way, and maybe they'll be connected to it in a way, like, maybe they'll make contact with Martian Row, or they'll become involved with the Nile somehow, but like very distanced and we're not going to have like a lightsaber duel between a Jedi and a Sith, but you know, you have some big event and some big conflict that the Jedi participate in and then find out that the Sith were pulling the strings in the background. And this is them maybe just sort of testing the waters and seeing if it's maybe time for them to reveal themselves yet. And then you maybe, you know, you, uh, when you see, um, the Phantom Menace and Ki-Adi Mundi says the Sith have been extinct for a millennia and like the Jedi haven't come face to face with them. But then you kind of have this backstory of like, oh, well, unknown to you, like a couple hundred years ago, you did kind of have a brush with them. You just didn't realize that's who it was or that's who was behind it. So, um, 
that or, could make for some interesting stories too. Or I do like what you're saying where it'd be cool to see how the Sith are viewing all this mm-hmm. and just their reaction to it, even though they're not involved. I think it'd be kind of cool where they are just seeing all this happen from the shadows in the background and not getting involved and maybe seeing Marshawn Rowe in the Nile try to go up against the Jedi being close to maybe defeating them, but they don't. And ultimately they fail and the Jedi prevail, obviously. But maybe that's something, whether it's with Plagueis and passed down to Palpatine, but makes them realize that's not the way to go about taking down the Jedi. It has to be through within the Republic, within the system and to corrupt them that way and then get them distracted. And it obviously leads to Palpatine's great plan in taking down the Jedi and orchestrating the Clone Wars and all that. So maybe it would play a role in that way with the Sith, maybe changing their tactics or giving them not necessarily all of them, but have it click with one, whether it is Plagueis or maybe it's it's Palpatine by the time we get the last High Republic story where they realize we the way Palpatine takes down the Jedi is because of what he saw the events that transpired or learned about during the High Republic. So I think that can be pretty interesting to kind of get the Sith in there somehow, but not have them be directly involved with the main conflict that's going on in the High Republic. Yeah, no, that would definitely be cool to see at some point. Um, but let me see. I'm trying to think if there's any other main sort of points we got to talk about here. Well, I will say, so we've all talked about our favorite characters. You know, you guys both like Avar Chris. I like Loden Great Storm. Um, I also really like his Padawan, uh, Bell. Um, I love the old guy that, um, gosh, I can't even remember his, oh, Porter, Porter Angle, who's like, kind of like this old retired Jedi who just like hangs around at this outpost. And, you know, they describe how the Jedi don't just have the main temple on Coruscant, but they have these like enclaves and outposts on different worlds, which they kind of explored in rebels. You know, you see like the smaller Jedi temples on Lothal and stuff like that. Um, And so they have one out on this mining planet and Porter angle just kind of like runs the temple and he's like the chef and cooks for everybody and stuff. And he's like 300 years old. But back in his heyday, he was like this mighty warrior, and they called him the Blade of Bardota, which I thought was just a super cool nickname. And of course, a little tie into the Clone Wars, Bardota is that planet where um, where Jar Jar disappears and he's got his girlfriend, and it's like the Indiana Jones episode. Um, but I thought that, sh- that was just such a cool, you know, like I I love the names and the titles and stuff, like Loden Great Storm and the Eye of the Nile and the Blade of Bardota. There's so many just like cool, dramatic Mm-hmm. nicknames and titles in this book that you know that i just really you know that stood out and were memorable another thing i really liked about in this book too are the creatures we got to see <laughs> uh, we got supreme chancellor uh lena so her like two gigantic creatures are kind of like different colored lions <laughs> mm. i think they're called tarragons and they were the way they were described and looking at the artwork for them that was released they looked really cool um and then also too, uh, that I forget the name of the species, but like that hound that's with uh, Bell, yeah, in, Ember, in Great Storm, Ember, yeah, he looks really cool. I just the description, but then the artwork that they released for it, where he's just like pretty much as like these highlighted flames <laughs> that are part of his skin. It just looks really cool. It's a cool creature design. It is how um, he helped out in certain battles too. Um, during near the end of the book so uh, not only great new characters and some great new force abilities but i think some great new creatures introduced in the high republic as well yeah definitely and man i wish that like 
I mean, I know there's been concept art released for some of this stuff, but I found myself like looking up so much stuff on uh, Wikipedia as I'm reading it and trying to picture like, okay, wait, which uh, like on just of the characters on the cover, like which one is that? And, um, or, you know, what does this creature look like or what's this species or whatever? And obviously, or even like the ships I was looking up to and, you know, there's a lot of concept mm. out there, or yeah. concept <laughs> art out there for, for a lot of them, but um you know some of them we haven't seen yet and so it's like i wish someone would just release you know they should release like a tie-in just like illustrated book and it could even you know just be like a kid's picture but like like we need a a high republic visual dictionary um so that you can just like i think you're gonna get that though yeah i I hope we do and i I mean i wouldn't be surprised i'm not saying it's like out of the realm of possibility i'm just saying i would really enjoy that well, well, the reason why is because when they did their initial push and they they had everyone that had um, tie-in material that's tied into this, DK Books is part of it. Oh, okay. And DK, so DK does a lot of that that kind of thing, like you know, for kids, like kind of like those big kind of information books, whatever. Um, and it would make a lot of sense for you know even like the old um, like visual guides and things like that they they would do so to be quite honest it would not well i think they even do the the, the visual uh, dictionary stuff on uh for the force awakens and all the new stuff i think they do yeah, yeah, that I think stuff so. now yeah so yeah as i said I, I think that's gonna happen eventually i think i think sometime next year after after they this this first uh, they call it wave or, or phase of high republic stuff comes out i think we're gonna get that especially because you know depending on how popular it is you know, I, I think it's they're they're connected to it somehow or something like that. But yeah, I think even more so now that it's been a pretty, I think I think it's been pretty popular for the most part. So, but yeah, I think you're definitely going to get that. Honestly, yeah, yeah there's I, already I been some great pieces that. of art out there. I don't even know where it's from, but um, I think it was in a tweet you sent, Paul, the first time I saw it, where it was artwork showing a uh, great storm bell on their. Um, on the the fields riding to save that family who's being abducted from the Nile and oh, like yeah. on this grassy field. That's like and on a just like, um that's on like a collector's edition cover. It's like an alternate cover okay. for the book. But I didn't see that until after I read that sequence in the book. And then when I saw it, like, oh man, this is, this is a great visual visualization of that moment. It just looked really cool. And if we kind of got an art book just on all the big moments that happened in Light of the Jedi, that would be awesome. I'd buy it in a heartbeat. Yeah, definitely. Um, and of course, like I said, you know, there's already some concept art out there. Obviously some of the younger reader books are illustrated or, you know, I have more illustrations on the covers and stuff. Um, and then starwars.com has been releasing these little like animated, like character vignettes, um, where you kind of like get to know more about the characters from, from the era and stuff. And so that's got some more visuals too. So as long as they keep releasing some form of like visual companions to go along with this, just so you have some sort of touch point to like you know, visualize the stuff as you're reading it. I always enjoy that. Yeah, definitely. I just, when I was done, I was trying to look for some more artwork for it. I saw some that might've been, uh, Paul, does one of the young, like children's book have some artwork that show the events of light of the Jedi? Maybe I'm wrong. And maybe thinking where no, I saw but, it from, but, but I, they, wait, they I think there show... is one. Oh, oh yeah. 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 yeah oh, it's right. like yeah, the, the there, great, a... the great Jedi rescue or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it, you're right. I was thinking of um there's cause the other novel, the kids novel has illustrated stuff from it as well from the actual story. But yeah, this one's a kind of like the part where it was the Wookiee and the, um, Oh my God, whatever the Cad Bane's. Oh my gosh. The, Duros. Um, Duros. Yeah. The Duros Jedi 
well on their their kind of adventure that's what they kind of focuses on that part of it and it's pretty cool like it's visually really, really interesting looking it's cool to see the, the jedi ships and everything kind of what they're meant to look like which is always helpful for me who i'm a visual person that's why novels are always so hard for me um it's just a lot it was a lot easier for me to kind of go okay i get it now it was really cool yeah. And by the way, the, we're like an hour and a half into talking about this, and that's the first time somebody's mentioned the Wookiee Jedi, Buriaga, who coming into this, I just assumed was going to be my favorite character. I was like, man, a new Wookiee Jedi, I'm all about that. Um, and then, like, he didn't have as big of a role in the story as I was hoping, especially being like one of the main um, characters that's like featured on the cover of the novel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I've, I, you know, Buryaga wasn't featured in it quite as much as I was hoping he would be. I still thought he was really cool, though, and I liked that his character, like, his sort of special skill or whatever is that he's, like, an empath um, who's just mm -hmm. really good at, like, connecting with people and sensing feelings and stuff. And I thought that was sort of a cool, like, I don't know, Paul's favorite term, subverting expectations. Because, of course, you'd think of a Wookiee Jedi and you'd <laughs> assume he's just going to be this great warrior with a big old lightsaber and just be, like, this brute in battle. Um but the fact that Buryaga is relatively young, he's still a Padawan, and um, he doesn't really get to do much as far as, like, fighting or anything in this one. And hopefully we'll get to see maybe more of that in later stories. I mean, he's got a cool, like, big cross-guard uh, cross lightsaber and stuff that I'd like to see him use. But um, in this story, like, when all the Jedi are, are trying to save the Hetzal system at the beginning... And you've got all this debris coming out of hyperspace, and they're trying to just, like, shoot it down and stop it from hitting the planet. And Buryaga... And his master are like coordinating with this other group of uh, Jedi and pilots and like they've got one big chunk coming at them that they're just going to blast with all the firepower they've got. And then Buryaga is the one to sense through the force that there are people on board and that it's actually like a passenger compartment from the ship and it's still got people alive and the Jedi were about to just blow them away because they thought it was just debris. Um and so he ends up being really useful in that regard. And, you know, because of him, they're able to save a lot of people, even though it's a lot harder than just shooting the debris down. So um, his character was definitely not what I expected, but I, I really appreciated that they did something um, kind of cool and unexpected with his character. And I look forward to getting more stories with him, too. Yeah, it was funny how there, his master thought, oh, if this is too much for you, you know, you can like lose connection because he was like kind of screaming and wailing like a like a Wookiee in pain almost. And they mm -hmm. thought, Oh, he can't handle this. But yet it was like trying to get their attention. Like, no, like, yeah, listen to me here. Yeah. But uh, he also had a great moment too. Um, kind of near to the end where he goes to comfort like a little boy who was one of the survivors of, of one of those debris compartments. It might've even been on that one, maybe <laughs> that he sensed, but um, even though he couldn't speak basic, just the little gestures that he would show that he was there and cared for, uh that little boy was a nice moment for him too. again, showing that uh, sensitive side that he does have and that uh, ability with the force to kind of show empathy and sense that more and offer comfort to the boy when he needed it there the most was a nice moment for his character too. So yeah, I know he's in that um, young reader's book and that alone made me want, <laughs> makes me want to check it out. I haven't yet though, but I probably will eventually, but don't, like you said, definitely looking forward to seeing him more as a character and kind of seeing both sides. We saw him be like the sensitive caring Jedi, but then hopefully like all Wookiees can show what a great warrior he is too. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely cool. Um, 
the other thing, so, I mean, I feel like we've pretty much talked at length about like all the stuff we loved about it. Did you guys have any uh, criticisms you wanted to bring up? Man, you know what? I, not really. <laughs> Going into the discussion, I wasn't thinking about any criticism, but just looking forward to all the things that I had to be excited that I loved about it. Um, I mean, you could have the criticism. I don't think it is a criticism, though, where maybe it went off into different areas or focused on different characters at moments where you wanted it to stay on other characters. But it's again, I can't even view it as a criticism because that's just how, what the good storytelling is where you didn't want to move on to the next one. But when you moved on to the next one, you're invested in that as well. And then he didn't want to move on from that one to the next uh, group of characters that was focusing on. But I guess I think that was part of the beauty of the book more than anything, because you're just invested. And for me anyway, just, the, all the different avenues and characters they were focusing on uh, throughout the course of the book, because it was never or very rarely where it was told in a linear fashion, where one chapter was with um, this set of group of characters and then the next chapter still focused on them. It was always each chapter focused on a different set of characters. And maybe that's not to everyone's liking where they would like it a little more focused. But again, it's one of those things where once that chapter ended, I just wanted it to continue what I was reading with these characters and then knowing, oh, it's on a different one. It was just like a momentary disappointment, I would say. <laughs> but once you start getting invested in this new chapter, what uh, these other characters are going through, it didn't take long to get fully uh, in, immersed into their experience and their stories that were being told there. So I guess that's as far as the criticism I can get on it right now. <laughs> I'm sure if I thought about it more, maybe I could have some nitpicks here or there. But just overall, man, it was just... Something yeah. I just had very, very few complaints about, if any. Yeah, I think well, I just, for me. Well, sir, Paul, I just want to real quick jump on Tim's because I that was one of my complaints as well. Um, and for me, I think it was a little bit more of a gripe because there were definitely some chapters that sort of like ended on a cliffhanger. And then the next chapter was with a different set of characters. And you're like, oh, man, come on. I want to stay with this group. Um, but I did feel like it was a little bit hard for me to sort of keep focus with like so much stuff going on. Like I, I definitely had no problem with like just the amount of characters and the fact that there wasn't like a central character. Um, like I loved all like just, you know, the, the diverse cast of characters in the book and like all the stuff that was going on, but I don't know, sort of maybe the way it was paced or the way that the storylines were split up and it kept jumping around from place to place made it a little hard to follow because there were a few times when like, you know, you'd start a new chapter and you're with a group of characters and you're like, okay, I remember who these characters are, but like I, there were a few times I had to like flip back to be like, okay, where did we leave off with these guys again? Because, you know, I got invested in their storyline and then we haven't been with them for like 50 pages and a bunch of other stuff has happened in the meantime. And so I kind of had to like refresh myself on like, okay, we've had like three or four other plot lines in the meantime and now I have to remember where we're at with this one. So that was a little hard to follow and I wish, you know, maybe they could have – um you know, maybe he could have stayed with the same group for like two or three chapters in a row and kind of like finished a bigger chunk of the story and then moved on to – to something else, but um, I don't know. That's that's a minor nitpick, and I, I've got a couple other ones that I'll mention too. But Paul, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think my main thing for um, this whole series is probably that some of the, their their inner thoughts and their and their dialogue they talk to each other. 
is a little too modern for my liking. That's probably my biggest criticism is that it try to it just sounds a little too of today's talk. And it's just kind of weird. And and that could be for Star Wars in general for some some of their writing projects, but it really has stuck out in this uh the High Republic stuff and mostly in the comic books, but we'll get into that here in a few minutes. But yeah, that's been my probably my biggest criticism right now of that of the whole series is just that kind of idea. Yes, yeah, and I remember you mentioning that to us like in a text, like while I was still reading it and that honestly, like, I didn't really notice that. I feel like maybe after you mentioned it, it stuck out to me like one or two times with like a specific character. But like after finishing the book, you know, I think I finished it maybe like a week ago. And I, at this point, I can't even remember, you know, where that was that, that stuck out to me like that. But I, you know, on the whole, that didn't really bother me. I will say one thing, speaking about the pacing and the structure of the book. One thing that I remember do remembering feeling as far as when, like the, did a lot of time take place between chapters here or there, or yeah. like, what's the time gap to where we just left off. That was something maybe um, thinking about it now that like maybe could have been a little more clear as far as when there was certain chapters that jumped from one set of characters to the next or just different events that, didn't make it quite clear where how much time has passed for it. Sometimes it made it made you think, Oh wait, are we like several months away from uh, the great disaster or what I just read in the previous chapter? Uh, but why did you read through and then the dialogue between the characters, it kind of makes clear where things are at. But uh, maybe that was one aspect that could have been made a little clearer <laughs> as far as the elements of the time passing from uh, what you were just reading. Yeah, that was also another one of the things that I was going to bring up because like, I, I thought the timeline was a little hard to follow. And it wasn't necessarily the jumps between chapters, but it was the fact that like some of the parallel storylines felt like they were happening in different amounts of time. Like, because one mm. of the one of the plot lines is with Loden and Bell, and they're on that planet where there's like the family of of miners that gets kidnapped by the Nile. And that all feels like it takes place within a relatively short amount of time. Like they're chilling at the Jedi Enclave. They get a distress beacon. They take their speeder. They go out to the homestead. And then they're like following the tracks and chasing the Nile across the planet. Like that feels like something that takes place over the course of like maybe a day or two where it's all, you know, very linear. It's all taking place kind of in the same location. But then like that's broken up into chapters. And then in between those chapters, you're cutting to you know, Avar Chris or the Nile or whatever. And like, they're jumping between planets. And sometimes it seems like, you know, they do one thing and then a day later they do another thing. And then we cut back to Loden and it's like the last chapter, he was chasing the Nile on his horse thing. And then the, the chapter we're at now, he's gotten a little bit closer. And like the other storylines, it feels like days have passed or something. So that was a little, mm. a little fuzzy. Um, but also something that I'm like, you know, everything kind of lines up in the end and it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. Like, you know, it's one of those things that I kind of just had to suspend my disbelief and overlook. Um, you know, if it was a movie where like the chronology really mattered um, or it was supposed to all take place within a, a certain set time period, then that might have been a bit more of a, a plot hole or something. But um I don't know, it was just something that I that I noticed too that I thought was a little weird. Um and then my one other 
sort of complaint, and it's not even with the book itself, but sort of with the way that the High Republic era in general was was marketed, um, and the way that this book maybe connects to some of the other ones, as far as the Great Disaster, because um, as I was reading, you know, so obviously they had hyped up that, like, you know, this is this era of peace and prosperity, and then this Great Disaster happens, and it kind of throws everything into chaos, and this is the event that kind of links all these books, and you're going to see this happen from multiple different perspectives, and it's going to affect people all across the galaxy. And as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, like, especially as you're reading the beginning and the stuff with the legacy run, I'm like, oh, this has got to be the great disaster, right? Like, it almost destroys the Hetzal system, but then, uh, you know, it, it causes chaos in some other systems, too, and then they have to, like, shut down travel to the whole outer rim, Um and so this definitely, like, has ramifications for the whole galaxy, but as far as, like the the stuff coming out of hyperspace and stuff getting destroyed that was kind of limited to just like a, a handful of systems um at least that's what this book makes it seem like and then i was re so i hadn't actually finished the book yet i was maybe about three quarters of the way through it and i was thinking that just you know the stuff at the beginning was the great disaster and we were past that and then i read the synopsis for into the or is into the dark that's like the the new one that just came out right yeah um and that talked about, you know, focuses on this other Jedi Padawan and his ship is knocked out of hyperspace during this great galaxy-wide catastrophe. And I was like, oh, shoot, well, maybe the great disaster hasn't happened yet because the way it's described in this book, it's just the legacy run that falls out of hyperspace. Like, we don't hear about ships getting knocked out of hyperspace all over the galaxy. And so that kind of... um I don't know, set my expectations weird for the rest of the book, because then as I was reading it, and again, you know, Martian Rowe was talking about this grand plan, and so I thought the Nile were still going to do something huge by the end of the book. And, you know, of course, they build up this uh, Starlight Beacon station that the Republic is about to open, and it's sort of their their uh, grand foray into the Outer Rim, and they're going to sort of start expanding and, and make their presence known out there. And I thought maybe the Nile were going to, like, destroy the the starlight beacon or do something you know again cause some other bigger greater disaster by the end of the book and then that never happened and then i started reading more about some of the other stories and stuff and realized like oh no like that is the great disaster and like there's stuff that happens from it in other stories that they don't mention in this story so i felt like that maybe just could have been explained a little bit better but maybe that was just my own expectations getting in the way so i don't know yeah, that was one thing going into it where just wondering what the great disaster was going to be. And then when it did actually happen in the book, as I'm reading it and realizing what it is, it did. I think it did its job as far as establishing that it was a great disaster that the galaxy hasn't seen before, at least in a long, long time. Just that phenomena of debris of ships just coming out of hyperspace at random on these different systems. I mean, that's got to put a lot of systems and planets on edge. Once they hear that, just thinking of could their planet be next? Would there some going to pop out of hyperspace and cause destruction um, like it did on Hetzel? And just like you said, how it affected just the Republic's kind of plan with the Starlight Beacon and making that expansion into the outer rim and kind of closing uh, hyperspace lanes out there to different regions and just causing um, un unrest amongst the citizens of the Republic and just um, not knowing what's going to happen after that so i think it did its job as far as being a galaxy-wide disaster that um really struck a chord with not just the republic but everyone who's heard of it and just i guess wondering 
what the fallout is going to be from that. So, and then once you throw in the events that happened with the Nile, just how that kind of came out of what obviously they were behind it, but um, for the longest time they didn't know about that, but yet they were still dealing with the threat of the Nile as part of the ramifications that came from uh, the great disaster. So in the end, uh, I was satisfied with it as far as being the catalyst for the events that are going to transpire over the course of the High Republic's run here, as far as this being a big event within the galaxy and then uh, be forever remembered. And that's another thing. Hopefully um, in other uh, Star Wars storylines going forward, it make reference to that. Like if instance, season three of The Mandalorian could uh, for whatever reason, looking at history of the galaxy and the great disaster comes up, I think that'd be pretty cool. Just knowing that it was something that uh, was remembered for a long time in the galaxy uh, would be cool. Now that it is established here, so maybe um, stories that take place way down the time, I could make reference of it, and I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that would be cool too. And again, like I thought within the book, it definitely did its job of, of fitting that role and being this, you know, great disaster that that would cause problems for the whole galaxy. I just, I think the, the marketing and some of the tie into some of the other stories made me expect it to be more than it was, or it wasn't clear that they were all talking mm. about the same thing or something like that. But, gotcha. um, but yeah, I mean, that was pretty much it. Um, you know, th- those are really my only issues with it. Like I said, I think the greatest strength of this is the characters and just some of those awesome Jedi moments. Um, oh, one other thing I was going to mention too. I sometimes will listen to um, Star Wars soundtracks, like when I'm reading Star Wars books. But I try to like, <laughs> Me too. like, but but I I can't just like put on a soundtrack album for one of the movies and just listen to it all the way through as I'm reading. Because if the mood of the music doesn't match with the mood of what I'm reading, like it throws me off and I just have to stop it. Um, and so I'll pick like specific, like I'll get to a specific part of the book and be like, Oh, this seems like it's going to be some good Jedi stuff. And then I'll pick like one or two tracks to listen to, like, as I'm reading that chapter, um, to try to like match the tone. At least that's what I was doing with this book. Um, and when, uh, when Avar Chris like connects with all the other Jedi and starts doing the thing in the field with the spinning lightsaber and the song of the force and all that, I was listening to some of the, uh, like the Jedi themes from the star Wars, the old Republic soundtrack. And it just, it amplified that moment so much more. Like I was just, I was like in a Zen Jedi star Wars <laughs> zone of happiness reading that. You're part. a part of that force connection. Yeah, I was, I, I literally <laughs> felt like I was. And again, I could, I could visualize it all perfectly. The music was fitting along with it perfectly. Um, so yeah, that was uh, so cool. And I look forward to, you know, continuing to do that. Like, obviously this is a lot closer to the movies and it's not set in the old Republic era, but I found a lot of those old Republic soundtracks, uh, fit the tone pretty well for me as I was reading it. So that was cool. Yeah, that does sound cool. I mean, I've done that too. I just put on a soundtrack, a Star Wars soundtrack while I'm reading, but I never plan it like you do. (laughs) Because like, I agree, certain moments um, won't go good with what the music is playing and what you're hearing. But sometimes it does and it works out and this makes uh, the immersion that much more uh, special as you're reading it. But um, I might have to try that or find nowhere a moment where something big is going to happen in the book and you can get a sense of what's going to happen. Maybe I could plan out my star Wars tracks <laughs> like you did. Cause yeah. it does. Heck, I'll, I'll send you experience. the tracks I listen to and just be like, r- go back and reread the Avar Chris part with this track playing and see how much cooler it is. There you go. Yeah. You might have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much it for light of the Jedi. Um, 
like I said, I mean, I think it gets uh, comes highly recommended across the board from all three of us. Um, if you haven't read it yet, um, definitely worth checking out. And I think it's, um, you know, just a good starting point for what hopefully is going to be some really cool stories in this High Republic era. I'm invested for sure. This is the only book I've read so far. Um, but I'm going to get into the dark and I'm definitely going to get the next, uh, the next adult novel that comes out, the one that I think Kevin Scott is writing, um, that comes out this summer. And then I'll probably get into the comics at some point too. Um, and I'll, you know, wait to hear more from you guys about that and whether you'd recommend them or not. But I think, you know, I'll just wait till the trades come out and get some of those, um, at some point, like later this year. Um, but yeah, I like it. And like we were talking about before, like it's. I'm excited just having like Star Wars books and like material outside of the movies that I'm really excited about again. Um, published material, I should say, because obviously I'm super excited about like the video games and the Mandalorian and stuff like that. But I feel like a lot of the books up to this point have just been like movie tie-ins or like, you know, side stories about like, you know, Leia or Tarkin or whatever. And didn't really feel like must read kind of stuff. Um and even the ones that you thought were going to be must-read stuff ended up being like, eh, that was all right. I mean, there there have been some good ones, but um, this felt like something new and unique. And again, felt like not just, oh, okay, this book was good, you know, and then put it down. But like, I'm excited to keep coming back to this era and keep seeing more stories with these characters and see it continue to be more fleshed out. I hope Loden Greatstorm is okay. I hope he gets out of prison and kicks Martian Rose, but... Um, but yeah, I'm just I'm I'm all in with this, so it's been a lot of fun. But before we wrap up, did you guys want to uh, talk about any of the the comics or the other like young reader books or stuff that you've read, and just kind of give an overview of some of that other stuff? Well, for me, I've just begun Into the Dark, and I'm about fifty pages in. Um, so I've heard good things about it. Um, so we'll see if I agree with that. That's the more I read, but so far I'm enjoying it. But I think it's just about to get going as far as what threat they're going to be facing. So, um, uh, but I did get the first two issues of the Marvel comic series and I really enjoyed those. Um, I really like the new character, the Padawan Keith Trennis. Um, well, she's only a Padawan for one issue because she graduates at the end of that one, but it was cool to see uh, the trials she faced and how she became a Jedi Knight and then how it links into the ending of the light of the Jedi, where they're all on the starlight beacon. Um, and it was really cool to kind of see that, moment visualize in the comic um but yeah i like her relationship with her uh master the trandoshan skier um where you get a moment of him in the novel um where his arm gets ripped off in the end battle um and then he lost one of his close friends of, who was a jedi and in the comic there was a great moment at the end of issue one where you see his reaction towards that and it was this a moment where you would not expect uh, to see from a Jedi. But again, this is a Trandoshan Jedi. So he lets maybe mits his emotions out more uh, than most, but he did it in private. And it was just something that made you go, whoa, like, was is he turning evil here or bad? <laughs> the dark side coming out of him here. But later on, it just made me feel, oh, it's just the reaction he's having for the events that transpired in light of the Jedi. And because of reading that, um, it, and once you read that comic, it just makes it, uh, that much more impactful when you see uh, his reaction uh, at the end of that issue. So the first issue was really good. The second issue uh, continues that. And I think that's where they're going to be introducing kind of the other main threat of the high Republic. Now I'm blanking on their name right now, but it's like those plant creatures 
who are supposed to be, along with the Nile, uh, the two big threats that the Jedi are going to be facing. I don't know if they're going to be connected in any way. It doesn't seem like it right now, but um, we'll see where that goes. I am interested to, le- to learn more about these villains because they are like these sentient kind of plant monster creatures, um, which if uh, they are kind of a part of nature, it's going to be interesting to see how the Jedi react to that and how um, they view their connection and with the Force not saying that those plant creatures are force sensitive, but just being part of nature and the living force is how the Jedi are kind of going to handle that situation if they are a threat. So that's going to be interesting. But um, yeah, the comics were really good. I think they're off to a great start so far. I'm liking the characters introduced here and then seeing some familiar ones in the novel um, was cool to see as well. So um, again, I haven't read everything, but so far the stuff I read, the main novel the two comics and the main Marvel comic line. And so far the first few uh, 50 pages of into the dark. Um, I've been enjoying it again. Light of the Jedi just put me on such a high for this era. And I'm glad to see that um, I'm enjoying the other aspect of it as well. Not just that novel, but seeing the good foundation and groundwork that novel laid down is uh, kind of going on towards the other uh, mediums as well. That uh, in this high Republic initiative that they're, uh, just that just came out <laughs> a few months ago and there's already not i want to say so much content but enough content where there's more for you to enjoy if you're really liking this era um you should have enough to satisfy you where you're not just waiting for the next book or the next the next novel i should say you got comics you got young adults you got a young children's book out there to kind of satisfy your craving if you're all in on the high republic like i was after reading the last jedi which is really cool about this whole High Republic initiative uh, with Lucasfilm Publishing. It's just so far so good. It's off to a great start. Yeah, I think that the comics have been really, really good, to be honest. I read the uh, IDW um, Marvel comic, the kind of they're kind of teaming up for a little more younger reader uh, thing. And and w- my only criticism of the comic book so far of the three, and this is kind of, I think, a, a fallback to a lot of comic book writers, is they go with the dreaded inner monologue constantly instead Mm. of just having things play out in front of them and then reacting out loud or interacting with other people it's constantly going back into their inner thoughts and and again that's that's a really it's an easy way to kind of convey what's going on and i'm not trying to like say like if you do this you're terrible but i'm not saying that at all either but it is a little bit much at, at times when it seems like that's all they do. And as so far in all three issues, all the main, main characters have inner monologues like constantly. So I'm kind of like, okay, I get it. Like we got, you're trying to set up, you know, everything. It just kind of feel, it felt like more of the same of each other. But again, that's a drawback to a lot of people who write comic books. And it's just kind of, and I don't mind it for the most part, but it's, I just, it really came like, it felt apparent to me, but my favorite moments were when they, they didn't rely on that. Like when Skier has that moment where he breaks down and, and all his stuff, like he's a great yeah. character. And that's the thing I, I recommend picking up all the issues. In fact, the IDW issue I thought was a little bit more interesting because the Nihil show up in that comic book and uh, it's interesting. So I, I think with the they've got a great thing of kind of overcasting everything with different mediums going on. Um, Into the Dark, I'm not as hot on, to be honest. I did read the other kid's book. I forgot, I already forgot the name of it. It wasn't the greatest either, but again, that's not really meant for me. It's meant for younger audiences. There's a really cool moment in that book, though. Um, 
I think it's a test of courage. I think what it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, a test of courage. It's not terrible. It's if you if you're if you're loving all High Republic stuff, I recommend it. But there is a isn't really... isn't that the one though where the main character is like the girl who's like 15, but she's a Jedi Knight already. Yeah, she's kind of advanced. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's actually to be honest, there's actually great themes in that story that I wish they would have played out in a little bit better um better, excuse me, a different um age group to be honest. Let's just say again, I recommend checking it out if you're if you're really loving the, the High Republic like me, I recommend it. I didn't love the story, I didn't love all the characters, but the main theme and story of what they kind of go with this care with, with these characters in here is actually I'll just say this, it touches on the dark side a little bit. And kind of what happens. It's it's interesting. And there's a big moment about a new kind of lightsaber weapon. Mm, so okay. <laughs> yeah, I just leave it at that. I want people to support the High Republic, so go read it. It's not gonna take you that long. It's not gonna be that it's only like 10, 12 bucks on on you know the buy on Amazon or whatever, or go re- read it digitally or whatever, and or listen to audiobook and check it out. Like uh, it's not terrible. It's not again, it's not not light of the Jedi, unfortunately, but it's it's enjoyable. Uh, Into the dark, not as loving this book as much to be honest. And there's cool moments in it, cool characters, but they're basically stuck on a ship right now, and I just am losing interest fast. To be quite honest, it's not <laughs> moving the needle. There are flashbacks that are the best parts of the book, in my opinion, and those are pretty cool. And See, that's, that's where thing. I left off on, like my first flashback. I haven't read it yet, but that's what I'm going to read next. <laughs> it's that's pretty cool. I'm not going to lie, that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah, just we'll see. I'm still giving it a chance. We'll see what goes on, but I haven't loved this one as much. Hopefully, it changes my mind soon. But it's okay. But yeah, that right now, I think the High Republic is doing well. To be honest, I love the comics, the books for the most part, have not been terrible. They haven't, they haven't all blown me out of the water, but they're not terrible either. So definitely recommend all that stuff. Yeah, cool. Um, well, I'm looking forward to, to checking more of that stuff out myself too. And like I said, we'll check on check in on the High Republic periodically throughout the year and um, probably devote a couple more episodes to it once we've all read some more stuff and have some stuff we want to talk about. So, um, yeah. But before we wrap up, uh, Tim, do we have any uh, listener comments from anybody else who's uh, read this stuff and wanted to chime in with their thoughts? Um, yeah, Derek BB on Twitter, at Derek JBB, let us know his thoughts on uh, the High Republic so far. He goes, I really enjoyed Light of the Jedi and Into the Dark. While I was hoping the Great Disaster would be more of a thing, I'm very excited for future installments of this era. It feels like New Jedi over, or it feels like New Jedi Order all over again in a good way. Um, yeah, so I've heard that comparison as well <laughs> online too about kind of the feeling of the new Jedi Order. I guess the excitement that was going on when that first started. Um, I didn't read all that stuff when as it was happening. That was at the point where it was like came out the same. I believe Vector Prime came out the same year Phantom Menace came out, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a year at the most before that. So, like, all my attention was just on Phantom Menace at that time. <laughs> I just devouring everything for that so i never really got into the new jedi order until later um but never read the whole thing but um again like you said it reminds of that in a good way because i guess the excitement that was with that but the events that happened in that story i know (laughs) 
not a lot not a lot of fans were happy with that but hopefully within the new republic or i should say the high republic um that is focusing on his brand new characters it, that's another good thing about it too where all brand new characters new era for the most part obviously we got yoda yariel poof and a few others but that kind of expectations of classic characters that you have expectations on where they should go and what they should do and what they should be and all that um that can hamper your enjoyment of the story if you don't agree with uh, the direction they take certain characters that you're familiar with and the high republic doesn't have to worry about that for the most part and that is something that i think is going to uh, be something where i'm not going to say is a bet where it's better off because of that but it's something hopefully where it could just breathe on its own without having to rely or worry about that stuff and just tell the stories it wants to tell and that's part of the beauty of this era of star wars that um we're getting right now with the high republic and just based off our discussion and our reactions for the light of the jedi it's i think that direction is paving paying off because the characters introduced um in light of the jedi i think have the potential to become great star wars characters in their own right that you're going to want to read more stories about and like i said in other stories that don't take place in the high republic but just hear them mentioned and referenced um is going to be great like if we get an eventual story with yoda set um in the prequel era or we get some more time with him on dagobah where he's with luke and he mentions um avar chris at the time of the what he was in the high republic just stuff like that is all that potential is there now and i think that's just really cool and that's uh, so what was great about Light of the Jedi, like we talked about, just the great new characters it introduced um, into Star Wars that hopefully will resonate and be long-lasting characters that show up or are referenced in other Star Wars stories and mediums down the line. So uh, all that potential is there, which is uh, great to see. So, yeah, thanks, Derek, for your Twitter comment and that you're enjoying the High Republic as much as we are. And I hope hopefully most Star Wars fans are enjoying it because it is something that um, is different, but at the same time, it feels uh, just great to get Star Wars like this, especially in the publishing front. Um, something that it's its own unique thing that uh, could just tell some great stories. And so, yeah, so far, so good. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for chiming in with your thoughts, Derek. Um, of course, we'd love to have more of you join in the conversation with us as well. We're all the Republic, so, you know, uh, follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. Uh, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. You can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com uh, to check out all of our latest uh news updates and uh, new episodes and all that kind of stuff um you know get in touch with us if you want let us know what you thought of of light of the jedi and the high republic era so far i'm thinking you know maybe i'll put out a poll on uh twitter and see like um who people's favorite character is so far um of course it's way too many to fit in the poll but um <laughs> in, interested to hear uh what you guys are thinking i'll i'll try to you know maybe pick the top four or something like that but um for those of you who, uh, who've read it so far, hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Uh, hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about it. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, that's going to do it for us on this episode. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Godspeed. Rough.